I don't necessarily have a uh, point A to point B with this tonight. You know, it's not there's not going to be a drum roll towards the end like this is where we're going to get to the big climax. But uh, I thought I would just talk about some things that I have learned recently um, from Old Testament stories that we all know inside and out, but yet things that I have learned and how we can really uh, apply it to our lives and also kind of question ourselves, you know, as far as um, it's easy for us to look at these old stories and wonder how people could have acted in certain ways at certain times, but then it also makes you think, okay, how do I handle things? Um, So uh, the first part of it, there's two parts really, the first part's kind of short, but I wanted to talk about Joseph. I don't know if Joseph, I don't know if there's anybody in the Bible that's uh, more awesome as far as an example of Christ than Joseph was. Um, and so I just want to point out a few things about him first and how it kind of uh, applies to us. First of all, he was, you know, we all know the story. I'm not going to get too much into all that, but his obedience to, uh, to the Lord was amazing through all the struggles he had. He never questioned through all the hardships. I mean, imagine he was sold by his own brothers, you know. He was framed by for something he didn't do. And, and um, again, something similar to Christ. And Mark Trotter actually had given, he gave a list of, it was amazing how many similarities between Joseph and Christ, but I won't go through all those. But some of the big things is he didn't seek glory. You know, Joseph did not seek out the glory himself, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, he gave credit, to, obviously, to God for his success. And another big part that I'll talk about, too, is that he forgave those who had, had done him so wrong. Um, first of all, if you want to turn in Genesis 41, we'll look at a part of the story. And this is where the, uh, the dream part of it. And again, this is something that, you know, I learned this story probably when I was five years old about how Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. Uh, who knows how many times over the years I've read the same thing. We've talked, you know, you've heard about it. But um, there's something that I, I thought was really awesome that I learned this time. And I want to share it with you. But if you look, first of all, in Genesis 41, 16. And so this is when... Uh, He's first approached, or he's first approaching Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's asking him, you know, I've heard about you, can you interpret these dreams? And Joseph says, and Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me, God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So right away, uh, the first time he's met Pharaoh, he's saying right away, well, it's, anything that I tell you, it's not me, it's, it's God through me. And then if you look at uh, verse 25, this is after Pharaoh has described the dream to him. You know, the, uh, you've got the, the thin cow, or cattle eating the fat cattle. You've got the, uh, the thin uh, ears eating the, the fat ears, the healthy ones. And uh, in verse 25, Joseph says unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. So again, he's giving glory to God. Now, of course, this is all part of the story that I think most people remember. But the thing that stuck out to me this time is if you look at verse 39, 41-39. I think this is pretty awesome. 
And again, I, I really had never, it's one of those verses you kind of skipped over. But it says, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. I think this is awesome because this is an example where Pharaoh is now acknowledging God. And it's all through Joseph's testimony. And again, I had never really paid attention to that before. And so you have someone who um, was obviously an ungodly person, an ungodly uh, society he was in charge of. He was called God. You know, the pharaohs in Egypt were considered gods by their people and by them. You know, they believed that about themselves. And yet he's giving credit. Pharaoh, you know, he, again, Pharaoh had been raised being taught he was God, he himself. And yet now he's acknowledging a God of a Hebrew as the one who has given this knowledge that's going to save Egypt. And uh, it just gives you, or it just teaches you that someone's testimony can change the lives of others drastically. And even someone as, uh, as extreme as Pharaoh in his situation. Um, but then going back to the story, you know, if you, in Genesis 50, kind of jumping ahead in things, you know, this is after, of course, Joseph has been put basically second in command of all of Egypt. Chapter 50, verse 15. This is another example where he's, uh, Joseph himself is, you know, giving more characteristics of of Christ himself as well. But in in chapter 50, verse 15, again, it's like, (laughs) I, I kept telling myself, this is like one of those parts where you're, okay, I'm reading Genesis, I'm almost through with this book. And you're just kind of skimming the end. You just kind of skip over this last little part. But what an amazing thing that I learned. If you look at chapter 50, 50, verse 15, it says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Um, this is 17 years after, I believe it was 17 years after uh yeah, you know, they had come back, and you know, so I should say this way: seventeen years have passed from the time that Joseph has been reunited with his brothers, and their father Jacob dies, and so all that time has gone by, and yet it, and now seventeen years pass. Jacob dies, and his and his brothers are all thinking, "Now we're going to get it." Um, <clears throat> you know, it, and. And what is Joseph's response? Um, if you look at verse 19, I'm sorry, verse, well, yeah, 17, verse 17, it says, For so shall we say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of God, of the God of thy father. <clears throat> and Joseph wept. When they spake unto him, um, Joseph could have killed them all. He almost was justified under that society's laws. You know, I mean, yeah, these guys sold him as a slave. They pretty much didn't care if he was dead. He only had one brother that even cared enough to at least sell him as a slave. Um, he could have got his revenge. He could have got him back. And yet he cried. He was weeping. And Joseph, in verse 19, 
says, And Joseph said to them, Fear not, for I am, or am I in the place of God? And that question mark there, is, he's, he's asking that question, am I God to make that decision? Um, Joseph was crying, he was weeping, you know, because for 17 years, his brothers were harboring that guilt. And again, he wasn't crying necessarily for himself or for what had happened. He was crying that his brothers uh, felt like they, well, I should say all that time, they had that guilt on them. And it's very similar to what, you know, I think what Jesus Christ would feel about us. If we, if we live with guilt for all those years, that would be kind of like Christ's response. Why? Why? You know, you were forgiven. Um, you don't need to be living with that guilt. But just imagine, again, one of those things, I jumped, up, I've jumped past this, I never paid attention to this until this last time I've read it. But, um, you know, you don't realize, for 17 years, his brothers had this fear that, you know, once dad's gone, I think we're all going to be joining him soon. And, uh, you know, you, you just don't realize that. But again, Joseph was, he was sorrowful because he, he was sorry that his brothers felt that way, you know. Um, <clears throat> But getting back to the one point where he's giving glory to God for what had, what had happened, again, he was like saying, my God, he said in verse 20, brass for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto you to bring, uh, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Uh, you know, he was saying, God meant your evil for good. Probably, possibly millions of lives were saved you know, in Egypt and that whole area and other countries because of what happened. And Joseph immediately gave credit to the Lord. Um, you know, and we have obviously verses in the New Testament. You don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians ten thirteen: whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Revelation four eleven: thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are, and we were, and were created. And then the latter part of 2 Peter 3.18 says, To him be glory now and forever. Amen. You know, we are to give glory to God, no matter what, in those tribulations and those hard times. And what an example Joseph was, um, his testimony to Pharaoh, and his forgiveness to his brothers, who, again, I don't know how much more evil you could do to someone than what they had done to him. And obviously, those are all examples of what Christ would, has done. You know, Jesus was tempted, just like Joseph was tempted. Um, he was hated by the ones who he loved. He was rejected, left to die. And yet, you know, in Luke 23, 34, he's, as, he's being, as he's hanging on the cross being mocked, he's asking the Lord, he says, Father, forgive them, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, uh, you know, you have to ask yourself, again, those stories are so familiar to us. We, have to, we wonder, well, how could... You know, how could people be mocking Christ if I was there? If I would have been there, boy, if I would have been there, I wouldn't have done that. The disciples, most of them weren't even around. They were so scared. And I think to myself, I probably wouldn't have been there either, if we want to be honest. Um, <clears throat> I may have been trying to pretend I was a Roman. You know, who knows? And at the same time, Christ would have been hanging on that cross for praying that God would forgive me for that at that moment. You know, we know that uh, Jesus Christ prayed for us. You know, he prayed for us in the garden when he uh, he prayed that uh, we would that those would that would learn and that uh, 
would find out about him in the future. You know, he prayed for us individually. And I have no doubt in my mind that uh, Jesus Christ thought of me personally at that moment, and every one of us. And it's such a wonderful thought. Um, <clears throat> but the last part of this is Joseph's family, which could have rightfully been destroyed, was not just saved from their, in their situation, but they were also given the land of Goshen, which was in northeast Egypt, and it was like the best of the best you know, the best real estate possible. And, uh, you know, the, the Israelites stayed there for hundreds of years, you know, the des- descendants of those fam- of that family. And just like we could easily be, have been destroyed, but we're given the best real estate eventually, obviously, too, in heaven. Now, the second part of what I want to talk about is kind of a longer por- portion of this, is the, the story of the Israelites. Um, as a kid, I can remember hearing the story and, you know, the exodus and all that, and thinking to myself, whenever they would talk about, you know, the, the latter portions of that story, the Ten Commandments and the different things, and the murmuring, you know, it's almost like every other verse. And they murmured, and they murmured, and you know, how could you do that? You saw what happened, you know? You saw the Red Sea, you saw these things, all this kind of stuff. How could you do that? How could you murmur? Okay? Well, <laughs> I think it's easy to figure it out. Um, so what I'm going to do is I, I thought I'd go through a few things. I may have a few rabbit trails off to the side, but these are just some extra things I thought I'd throw in just because they're so interesting. Um, but just as some examples of what the Israelites would have physically seen with their own eyes. First of all, now this is something, again, I just I had never really thought about, and I may be off base, but I, I think what, from what I've researched, I, I think this is correct. They, they were still living in Goshen at the time, at this time. And so they were living in the best place in Egypt, if I'm correct. And I was thinking to myself, how odd that is. First of all, God was still taking care of them for that part of their time in slavery. And I also thought, at some point, don't you think some of the Egyptians would have been like, why are the slaves you know, living in Beverly Hills over there? You know? <laughs> why do they still get Goshen? But... Anyway, I just that was just kind of thrown in there, and I thought about that. That they, when he when Moses took them out, they were still there in Goshen, and that was the land that Pharaoh had given Joseph 400 years prior. So anyway, that was just something I thought. About. Um, I won't charge you for that part. So <laughs> anyway, so they saw the plagues, you know, starting with the plagues. Um, again, these things are just quickly read, but we don't think about it. They saw a river that's 4,000 miles long being turned into blood. And, you know, killed all the fish. You can just imagine the smell. And they were not affected by that at all. They saw that, first of all. Um, <clears throat> they saw the frogs. I, I always laugh when I see this. I'm thinking to myself, you know, you hear about, you know, of course, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That he ignored a lot of this stuff. But I'm thinking to myself, man, if he'd have come to me and said, we're going to bring frogs in here, that would have been it for me. <laughs> You take your people, you take anything you want and get out of here. Please don't throw some frogs at me, okay? Uh, but, you know, the Bible talks about it. They covered the land. In other words, you couldn't take a step without squishing one of those things. <clears throat> but, uh, uh, you know, they talked about how when they, at the end, they put them into heaps, you know, and it's just, I can't imagine how gross that was. But, but you think about the Israelites at that moment when all that was happening. Of course, they weren't being harmed by it. And so I'm picturing, how would this have been going down? You can just almost imagine 
like a line where they were at. The frogs were all lined up there. They're back here away from that. I'm just picturing that's, to me, that's almost how it would have had to been. Because the frogs were in their beds, they were in their, I don't know what the word was, kneading troughs or something. So where they cooked everything, ah, can't imagine. But the, the Israelites are seeing that. <clears throat> then it came the lice and the flies. Everywhere they were, every breath they took, they would have been inhaling these things. Um, <clears throat> and I found it interesting. After those first four, Pharaoh was willing to uh, do a little negotiating at that point. And he said, he had told Moses that uh, you, you can sacrifice, but do it in the land. Do it here. In other words, you can worship God, but still do it here. Um, again, this was something I picked up from Trotter's commentary. It was just awesome. But um, <clears throat> Moses obviously turned him down because he knew that, the, I think Pharaoh might have been trying to trick him at this point because he, Moses knew that the Egyptians would have found that to be an abomination to them. And so they would have probably, they were, you know, even Moses said something like, won't they stone me? The Egyptians would have killed him for that. And so Pharaoh was almost like, oh, I've got an idea. Why don't you go ahead and sacrifice and see what the people do to you? But Moses, of course, said no. Um, but, you know, the idea, of course, Pharaoh was a symbol of Satan. Uh, Egypt was a picture, picture of the world. And the idea here is that, you know, we want to make sure we don't, uh, we, we shouldn't worship God but stay in the world in that, in that point. And that's what Moses was saying. No, we're not staying here. We're out of here. We're not going to worship God here and just stay in this filthy situation. So then, of course, Pharaoh was hardened. Um, but just a verse to go along with that. Of course, in James, you don't have to turn there necessarily, but James 4.4. 4, speaking of you know, staying in the world, it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. You know, so we need to completely separate. So then another example is that Pharaoh said, well, you can sacrifice, just don't go, do, just don't go very far. You know, this is like in Exodus chapter 8 where the story's going on. He's telling Moses, you know, you, go ahead and do your sacrifice. He's trying to like, act like he's, he's giving in, but just don't, do, don't, don't go very far. And so you can kind of think of it as... as uh, you know, where Jesus said to us that we can't serve two masters, you know, in, in, Matt chapter, or in Matthew 6, you know, be a Christian, just don't go overboard. You know, just don't be one of those crazy people that talks about it all the time. So you can, you can, uh, you can worship, just don't do it as a, to an extreme, you know. But obviously we can't be close to the world and God at the same time. Then, you know, Pharaoh's heart was hardened again. And again, these are the ideas, what, what the Israelites were seeing for themselves. They saw the cattle diseased, uh, the boils, the hail that had fire in it. I mean, and it talks about how the, the thunder and all that. How awesome of a sight would that have been? As long as you're not on the Egyptians, you know. Um, and Pharaoh again after that, he's ready to negotiate again. And he's basically asking, and this is now in Exodus 10, he's asking Moses, well, you know, if you go, who's, you can go, but leave your children, let them remain. What a picture of the world that is. You know, yeah, you're a Christian, it's a, you, you go be a weird Christian, but we'll keep your kids. 
Um, and obviously for, uh, Moses rejected that as well. You know, Ephesians 6, 4, you know, challenges us. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, be consistent. We don't let the world uh, raise our children. We are to do that. <clears throat> of course, in First Timothy, it also talks about being, we're supposed to rule our own house well. Um, then, Pharaoh's heart was hardened again. Here come some other things the Israelites are saying. The locusts. It talks about how the locusts basically finished everything else off. And even at this point, the Egyptians, I think it was this point, the servants came to, Moses, or to uh, Pharaoh and said, we're already destroyed. You can almost see that the rest of the Egyptians were thinking, why don't you let these people out of here? We're, we're done for. <clears throat> um, then the darkness, you know, the Bible descri- describes it as you could feel it. It was so dark you could feel it. You can imagine at a time, the world was dark at that point anyway, without electricity, but uh, even so dark that they could feel the darkness. And <clears throat> after that, Pharaoh again says, well, you can leave, but leave your stuff here. You know, and the, of course the world tells us that we have to have the world to be prosperous, you know. Um, <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, but verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will, you, there will your heart be also. You know, is our, is our heart w- with our treasure in the world? You know, Pharaoh was hoping that the uh, Israelites would realize, well, we can't really leave our stuff, you know. <clears throat> and then finally, the last plague was the death of the firstborn. Now, the Israelites had witnessed all of this, and they knew the significance. One thing, uh, again, from that commentary that I had never really realized, but every single one of those plagues attacked an individual god that the Egyptians had worshipped. Um, <clears throat> whether it was the god of the river, the god of uh, basically the environment, um, you know, I think Ra is the sun god, and the darkness attacked that. So God was showing every time, yeah, I got that one. Yeah, I got that one. Got that one. And the Israelites, remember, they had been there for 400 years. They would have known all that stuff. They would have understood exactly what was happening. Um, they would have been fully understanding the significance of those attacks on those Egyptian gods. So they're seeing all this stuff. Um, finally, of course, Egypt, or the Pharaoh allows them to leave, or should say God provoked him. Um, <clears throat> so the people leave. Then they see the parting of the Red Sea after they had murmured, you know. They had just lived through all that. Never, nothing harmed them at all. And, toward, and of course, at the end, the Israelites were taking all the good stuff that was left that the Egyptians had, you know. They not only left with their riches, they got to take other things as well. So they got all this stuff. They're leaving. They're fine. And now here comes Pharaoh and his... his uh, chariots, and now they start murmuring as if God can't take care of them, you know. And then they parts the Red Sea, <clears throat> so they, obviously they're murmuring because they're worried about their safety. Then in, later on, they're hungry. They don't think that God can provide their what they need, their provisions. You know, they, they say that the, uh, Moses has brought them out into the wilderness to die. Well, then God provides the manna. And then they get thirsty, <clears throat> you know, after they murmur a while some more. So much so that even in Exodus 17, Moses is uh, realizing that these people are ready to stone me. You know, 
Can you imagine what he's thinking at that point? All the things I've done for you, and now you're ready to kill me. So, of course, then uh, God allows them to have the water that is struck from the rock. Um, and it just continues on. You know, Moses receives God's law in Exodus 24. The people are promising that they'll obey. They'll do whatever God says, whatever they tell him to, tell, to teach them. We'll do it all. And then sure enough, <clears throat> within just a couple of months, there they are dancing naked in front of a golden calf. Um, <clears throat> so again, we, we, we wonder to ourselves, you know, how on earth could you possibly have been this way? But uh, you have to wonder, you know, going back to what they had been able to see and go through, you know, first of all, they lived in Goshen. And I think to myself, we live in the best country in the world. There's never been a nation as prosperous as ours in the history of mankind. Do we stand up to Satan when we're tempted? You know, worship God, but stay in the world. Profess our faith, but don't go overboard. Be willing to allow our children to follow the world. You know, are we sold out for their popularity or whatever it might take? Think um, <clears throat> we have been mingled in the prosperity of the world. Have, have we done that? Uh, you know, it's just constant things that are you're questioning. And then I think to myself, they saw those physical miracles. And then I wonder my, about myself. You, you, we think, well, I've never really seen anything like that. But then as this week progressed and I was thinking about it, I thought how silly that was for me to feel that way. And I think we all can think this way. Um, <clears throat> first of all, our own salvation is a miracle of God. You know, the fact that uh, any one of us can hear the gospel once in our life is a miracle. Um, but other things that we've lived through, I mentioned before that Christ was praying for me, you know, in the garden. He prayed for all of us. Uh, that's To me, that's a miracle. There's other things I thought about um, for me personally. and I think you guys, most of you know me pretty well. I'm not exactly the drama kind of guy. And so I kind of was like, I don't really want to get too much into stuff. It seemed kind of like a, some kind of a weenie, I guess. But uh, I have to admit, this morning when Pastor Jim was talking about the one verse and uh, the short part of the, he said, you know, the one verse was talking about, you don't have to have long, some long prayer. And that saved me part of it. And it made me, I thought about this earlier in the week, and I thought, no, nah, I don't really want to tell the story. But then I thought, I, okay, I, I, I think I really have to. Because um, <clears throat> I was trying to give you a situation. When I was 14, there's not too many people know this story. Um, I think my kids maybe have heard it, but we, our church would go to Camp Patmos, which is a church camp in the summers. And um, the, it was on Kelly's Island, so we would take a ferry out to it. So you're out on this little island. Well, they had a lot of boat rides and all kinds of stuff. Well, one evening, I uh, <clears throat> was asked by one of the counselors to go out and help get these kids. They were on this little sailboat, and they, they wanted to, these, these kids, had, they, weren't, they didn't know how to get back. So he asked me to go out with him. I think, like I said, I was 14. I could swim pretty well. And he asked if I, we got out to that sailboat, that I would swim over to their boat and, uh, and help them out. And basically, we're, you know, the, whatever they call the rope that the kids hold onto to uh, water ski, he wanted me to wrap that around their mast 
and then he was just going to tug us back to the shore. Okay, so yeah, sure, no problem. <clears throat> so um, we got up close to him, and I swam over to these kids, and uh, I had a life jacket on, and so I got it, climbed up on their little sailboat there, and I took the rope and I wrapped it around the mast, just like everything. And so we start going back towards the shore. Everything's fine and dandy. When we get back towards the shore, uh, the boat had stopped. He was several yards ahead of me. And, of course, the waves start chopping a little bit. And this little sailboat, I could just tell it was coming. Sure enough, it just flipped us right over. And, yeah, no problem. Well, as I went to jump off, the rope that, was, that I had tied around it, I didn't mean to, of course, but I had tied the strings of my life jacket in that. So when I went to jump off, it pulled me right back. And so the boat came right over on top of me. And uh, again, I'm not trying to sound dramatic, but this is just, we say that we never see miracles. You know, this, the old expression that you see the life your life pass before your eyes? It's true. As I was under that water, the boat's on top of me. Of course, they were little kids. They were probably oblivious to what's even happening. And I'm underneath there, and I'm trying to pull this thing off off of my head, and of course the panic is kicking in, and it, the, I had it tied tight, it wasn't pulling it off my head, and at that point, honestly, those thoughts are going through your head, this is it, and uh, I just remember, again, I know it sounds dramatic, but you look up, I could look up through the water, I could see the sun shining down into the water, and I had not acknowledged God at all. And all I said was, oh God, please no. That's all I said. And I'm not kidding, came right off my head. And I'll never forget that. <laughs> um, and I think to myself, when I, when I read this lesson, when I, when, when I did this, and I looked through this, and I, thought, I always thought, well, I never saw these miracles. And I thought to myself, you know what? For me, personally, pulling that life jacket off my head at that moment was the strike in the rock to get the water. That was a miracle, because I'm not kidding, I had pulled and tugged and tugged, and I finally looked up and I said, oh God, please no. It came off with not one lick of problem. It was a miracle. And uh, I was within seconds of dying at that point. And, of course, I was able to get out, and I swam back to the shore, and I just remember kind of collapsing and because I was exhausted and all that, but uh, I'll never forget it. And like I said, those moments like that, I'm sure that we've all had something like that, maybe not life-threatening. Um, you know, there's other little cute stories, like I can remember when Grandma Alice, she had been incoherent for several days towards the end of her life, and, and yet right before she passes away, she's humming a song about going home to see her Savior. That's a miracle from God. That's, if nothing else, is giving us comfort to know we know what's going to happen right now. Um, so we've all experienced that kind of stuff. We've all seen the striking the rock. You know, We've all seen the Red Sea parted in our lives. Sometimes we just don't acknowledge it because it may not be quite so, so dramatic. And so when we criticize, when we think about these people in the past, we have to ask ourselves, what are we... You know, what are we willing to do? Are we murmuring? 
And we have to you know, realize that sometimes we do that. We need to rely and trust on the Lord because he's there. Um, it's, he's there for you. Um, so just kind of finishing it up here. You know, I hope you've experienced the gift of salvation, that uh, ultimate miracle. Because without it, you know, there really is no hope. All of our inconveniences, sufferings in this life will overwhelm a person. You know, you'll follow this, the ways of this world. Uh, getting back to our story with the Egyptians, you think about the Egyptians who followed Pharaoh into the Red Sea. They had seen all those things happen too. They were still willing to follow the world though. You know, they could have easily been like, wait a minute, have you seen what this God has done to our country already? And yet they were still willing to follow Pharaoh to their death. They didn't want to turn away from their traditions, from their old beliefs. They didn't want to turn away to trust in, in the true God. And so, you know, when we see these things happen in our lives, we have to, you know, hopefully we won't allow our families, ourselves to be destroyed as well. Only Christ, of course, can change a person's heart. Only Christ can, can, can do that and will ultimately save someone, not this world or its philosophy. You know, no one's untouchable. So <clears throat> I hope that I was able to uh, give a coherent lesson tonight or whatever you want to call it. But uh, I'm just grateful for the opportunity. And, you know, I always think to myself, whenever Pastor Jim asks me to, to uh, give a lesson, I'm always, you know, you're always like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And there's that work involved. But, man, at least for me, I'm always, I always feel like I'm blessed after I get done. Um, so I hope it was a blessing to you. So if you would, uh, everybody just stand and we'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for this church. Um, but most of all, Lord, we thank you for what you have done in our lives, what you continue to do in this world.